Hey, 1 Samuel 9. We are doing this series called Prophets and Kings. We're working through the Samuels, the Chronicles, and the Kings. We're working through these books. And I'm excited. Um, we've been going through this the last few weeks, maybe seven weeks now. And, and the hope of this is for us to be able to communicate the gospel of Jesus in the Old Testament. Remember, the gospel did not just start with the, the book of Matthew. It started all the way back in Genesis. There are these little echoes, these little hints of like this Messiah to come, this king to come, this prophet to come, this priest to come. There's all these little like stories that are painting and really developing within our hearts a greater hunger for the one who will be the true and righteous prophet, the true and righteous king the true and righteous priest. So we're trying to go through this, one, to understand uh, our history. But as Paul says in Romans, these stories are written as an example to bring us hope. They bring us hope. And so we want to go through this just week after week so God can just stir within our hearts just a hope, a longing for a better king, a longing for a better prophet, a longing for a better priest. Amen? So that's why we're working our way through this. Now, we are in 1 Samuel 9, and this is where like a change or shift kind of happens in the, bo- the book. We've been really working our way and looking at this guy uh, named Samuel, and now we're going to be a shift to a guy named Saul. You guys might be familiar with Saul. He will become the first king of Israel, and we're going to kind of look at his origin story, the beginning of his life here in this chapter. Uh, but there's a shift that takes place from this prophet to this king. And I want us to kind of pick up on that. If you're with us last week, let me just remind you, the people of Israel wanted to be like everyone else. That was the issue. It says, we want a king. We want to be like the other nations. And so there's nothing wrong with the desire for a king. In Deuteronomy, we saw like God's like, you will have a king in this land. But the reason or the motive behind the king to be like everyone else was their downfall. They had more of a desire to fit in than to stand up and to stand out. So that's where God calls them out. It's like, it's not a wrong, it's not a wrong, you want to have a king, but the motive for that, that's what's wrong. And so if you remember, God's like, okay, warn them, if they get a king, it says six different times, last chapter, chapter eight, the king will take, he will take, he will take, he will take your sons and daughters, he will take your land, he'll take the fruit of your inheritance, he'll take, he'll constantly take. But we have a king who constantly gives, that is King Jesus. And that's why God was warning them saying, man, I, I am that king, I'm a giver, but I'm going to give you what you want, and you're going to have a king that's a taker. And now we're introduced to Samuel, or Samuel chapter 9, we're introduced to a guy named Saul. So this is kind of like, again, the origin story of Saul. And there's some things I want us to pick up on. There's some nuances in the story that I want us to read. And it's kind of like, decide for yourself kind of who or how he will turn out. So here's like the main thought today and what I want to like break down. Uh, the title today is, is simply, Who We Will Become. Who We Will Become. Because we see this guy named Saul, and the question is, man, he had a lot of things going for him, and he also had some imperfections he could have worked on, and so God had a strong calling on his life, he had everything he needed to get to, to be successful, and we kind of want to look at the beginning of what went wrong, and we'll see it kind of un- develop more as chapters go by, but it just raises this question of who, who will you and I become? I believe God has a calling on us as just followers of Jesus. Who will we become in the process? There's something that God says we are. There's something God wants us to be. And what are we going to do with that difference? Like, what are we going to do with the, the daily decisions we have to make from who we are today and who God has called us to be? So that's kind of how we're going to approach this text. Um, I want to read it, but there's so much. So we're just going to pray and then kind of read it throughout. Yes? Cool? Amen? You guys ready? You guys okay? Good morning. I'm excited. First Samuel 9. This is great. Um, let's pray. Let's pray and just invite the Lord to speak. 
and a move. Father, we just want to thank you um, for you. God, we thank you that you are faithful. God, we thank you that as we just sung, all of the promises of God are in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. We thank you, Jesus, that you finished the work we could never finish. You accomplished for us what we could never accomplish. And Jesus, we just ask as we work through your word, this is your word. You spoke to Samuel. God, you had a calling on Saul's life. God, we ask that um, we could learn from this, that we would not make the same mistakes twice, that Jesus, we would um, fulfill and be who you have called us to be. That, Lord, that the daily choices and thoughts and mindsets that shape us, that can influence us one direction or another, Jesus, we ask that we could just surrender that to you. That, we, that you would help us take captive our thoughts. That, God, our mind would be set on you. That we would set the Lord always before us, as David said. So we thank you. We need you. I just want to praise you in your name. Amen. You know, I love a good origin story. You know, a story that kind of tells us the backdrop to either a superhero or a supervillain. Probably in 2022, I think the origin stories have been overdone a bit. Like, we have a lot of origin stories. You know, like we had Han Solo, Cruella DeVille's, like, origin story. Uh, we have the Buzz Lightyear movie coming out. Like, I think I have an origin story coming out soon. Like, everyone has an origin story, right? There's just so many origin stories. But it's fun. I think my favorite one that, like, you know, probably because it's, like, mixture of, like, oh, this is done really well, um, was Batman Begins with the true and one and only Batman Christian Bale. The right Batman. Um, I know it's debated, but let's be honest, it's Christian Bale. Um, Robert Pattinson, um, or Patterson, whatever his name is, sorry, does not fit for me, but, you know, he actually wasn't that bad. Um, but it's funny, when I first saw Batman Begins, I was like, oh my gosh, like, I love the backstory. I love seeing, like, where he was internationally, like, he's in a prison, how he had, like, fight his way, kind of, like, in a rough way, and then in a more organized way, in a skillful way, and you're like, oh, it's so fun to learn the backstory of a superhero or supervillain. It is funny, there are certain origin stories, if you watch any of, like, certain Marvel TV shows, there's certain origin stories where you're like, will this person turn out good or bad? Like, you almost don't know. There'll be, like, a flashback of, like, some character that's minor at that point, and they're like, I don't know if this is going to be, like, a villain or a hero. It's kind of like, how will this turn out? It's kind of nuanced. Like the jury is kind of out on this person. Like, will it be good? Will it be bad? Not really sure how this play out. You know, it's interesting. This is really Saul's story. As we're introduced to Saul and you first start reading about him, you're like, there's some good qualities here. But then you're like, there's some nuances here. There's some maybe perspectives here that aren't good. I don't know. It's like, what will he turn out to be? And here's what I want you to see. It's God is for him. God wants to see him succeed. But we got to see that in some ways, like, how will this play out? Like, he has everything he needs to succeed. We know that Saul has a tragic ending. It is mind-blowing. I just want to, just you kind of imagine, we're here in chapter 9. In chapter 15, we're going to see, like, the downfall of Saul. And then in chapter 16, we're going to see David be anointed as king. So it's not very long. Like, it's not very long. Like, but he starts to go off, like, right away. We can read it. But there's some, there's some high points. Next week in chapter 10 and 11, like, there's some high points. Like, oh, my gosh, this guy might be that true and righteous king Israel's been longing for. But we want to kind of explore his origin story in chapter 9 and kind of develop it and, and see kind of where maybe he could go right or wrong. Um, because what I want us to see is it's the decisions you and I make on a daily basis. So here's kind of the points today. Here's how we'll work through our text. Uh, here's what we're going to see. We're going to see who he was like when we're first introduced to Saul, who he was, who he will be. He's called to be the prince or the king of Israel, who he will be. God tells Samuel very clearly he's going to be this. So who he was, who he will be, and then how to get there. What does Samuel first do with Saul when they meet? 
Like, what are the first couple of things he hears, and what do they do together? So, uh, who he was, who he will be, how to get there. Cool? Wait for us to look at our life. Who are we today? Who has God called us to be? How do we get there? All right, first point. Who he was. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 9. Let's read verse 1 about uh, Saul. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish, the son of Abel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bekorath. These are some names we almost named Wyatt. These are really good names. Uh, the son of Aphitha, uh, a Benjamite. So Kish, just sort of this, 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 this idea of Kish. He's a Benjamite. He's a man of wealth. So Kish had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There is not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. For his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. Now, right away, it kind of sets the stage for Saul. And obviously, there's some details here that we got to point out. But first, I want you to know that Saul's name literally means asked for or even prayed for. That's what his name means. Here's the idea. We talked about Samuel. Samuel also kind of has a similar meaning. You can look these names up yourself. It means to have prayed for or asked for as well. There's like Saul or Samuel, like this, like this idea of like has asked for and God has answered. Now, why is that interesting? They're asking for a king. God, they're like, God, we want a king. And God, so they basically sawed God. They're asking God for a king, and God gives them a sa'al. He, he gives them what he asked for. There's really like a play on words here in the Hebrew. Like they're asking, they're sa'aling God for a king, and God gave them a sa'al. And I don't know why, I just find that fascinating. God's like, you want this? This is what you're asking for? I'm going to give you what you're asking for. Now notice that he's a son of a guy named Kish. He's a Benjamite. He's tall. He's handsome. He's wealthy. He's single, ladies. You hear that? Like, this is great. Like, when you, when you read this, you're going, oh my gosh, he is like the people's king. This is something you'd read about, and you go, this is exactly what we want in a king. The idea of even, like, mentioning his height is the Philistines were large people. The, Is- the Israelis, not so big. The idea is, like, he's head and shoulders above. Like, this is the guy that will represent us and go into battle. He'll stand out. He comes from wealth. The idea, too, of mentioning some of these things, the commentators are a little bit, you know, different on maybe how to approach this. Like, in some ways, this is kind of just saying he's wealthy. It's exactly what the people wanted. Also, we'll read in a second, he has servants. So maybe in some ways, he's either spoiled or doesn't know what it's like to kind of suffer in certain ways. Maybe that'll be a part of his downfall. But maybe that's what the people wanted. You know, so he's tall, he's handsome. It's really, it's almost like pre- presented in some ways. We're about to jump into a story. Some are like, is this a story of heroism? Like, is he a hero? Or is this kind of like a comedy or tragedy? Because you're going to read certain mindsets and certain things that are going to happen along the way. And I want to point out, because we're about to read a lengthy story of some lost donkeys. And even I, as I read this over and over again this week, I'm like, what is the point of this? And there is some side dialogue and some mindsets and some things we see revealed about Saul that we just kind of want to point out. All right? So kind of introduced to who he is. He's wealthy. He's tall. He's handsome. By the way, obviously you get this point. It's focusing on his outward. We're going to read in just a few chapters in 1 Samuel 16 that when David was identified as the king, here's what it says. And I kind of want to wait to comment because this is such a profound verse. 1 Samuel 16, 7. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him, Saul. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on at the heart. And I want to kind of wait to comment on this because there's so much here, but you can see that there's already a compare and contrast between Saul and David. There's like, you're, we, we already did this. We already did this. We already looked at the outward appearance. Wealthy, tall, handsome. We've already looked at this. But David's like different. God's like, I'm looking for character. I'm looking at the inward man. I'm looking for, I have different qualifications. And I want to see like there's already, this is going to be, this setting us up for, we want something better 
than just the physically outward appearance. We want something inward. So, we're introduced to Saul. Verse 3. Here we go. Donkey story. All right. <laughs> Verse 3. Now, the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise and go and look for the donkeys. And he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and passed through the land of Shalisha, but they did not find them. And they passed through the land of Shalem. Um, just forgive me. I'm just going to keep going fast. But they were not there. Then they passed through the land of Benjamin, but did not find them. When they came to the land of Ziph, Saul said to his servants who was with him, come, let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. My dad is going to be worried. Verse uh, six, but he, the servant said to him, behold, there is a man of God in this city and he is a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us uh, the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there is no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, uh, here I have, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. Formerly in Israel, there's like some commentary, formerly in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he said, come, let us go to the seer. For today's prophet was formerly called a seer. And Saul said to his servants, well, well said, come, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was, verse 11. And they went up the hill to the city. They met young women coming out to draw water and said to them, is the seer here? They answered, he is. Behold, he is just ahead of you. Hurry. He has come just now to the city because, listen, the people have a sacrifice today on the high place, on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes, since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, for you will meet him immediately. Verse 14. So they went up to the city, and as they're entering the city, they saw Samuel coming toward, toward them on his way up to the high place. Okay, what is going on? Who he was? So uh, Saul, again, he's wealthy. Imagine you lose some donkeys. Uh, that's like, you, I don't know, your cars just drove off. You're like, oh, our cars drove off again. Like some expensive, expensive things that kind of put you in like a different status. And it's like, but let's go get our cars. Let's go get our donkeys. So they're looking. They can't find them. They can't find them. They meet, uh, the, the servant has this beautiful idea. Hey, there's a prophet who's not far from us. Actually, Samuel only lived about five miles from where Saul lived. So there's a prophet here. Let's ask him. Maybe he knows where our donkeys went. Like, this is a big deal. We're going to go to the prophet about our donkeys. All right, let's do it. Hey, but we don't have a gift. I have a shekel. Okay, let's do it. So they go. They meet these women at the well. They give him advice on, like, temple worship. Don't you know there's going to be a sacrifice today? That's happening. And then they meet Samuel outside the city. So here's why I'm bringing this up. We kind of get some, a backstory to Saul, who he is and what he's like. We understand that he's uh, from the tribe of Benjamin. Now, that is the first issue. If you know the scriptures in Genesis 49, when Joseph was prophesying over his sons, um, or sorry, when Jacob was prophesying over his sons, we're told that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. So we know that the king, the king that would go, go through really the, the Israeli line would be through the tribe of Judah. Like Judah was supposed to bring forth the king. He's a Benjamite. Now, if you've read the book of Judges, this is like the book before. Remember Joshua, Judges, Ruth for Samuel? It actually in the Hebrew Bible goes Judges for Samuel. Judges ends with a three-chapter story on the tribe of Benjamin. If you want to go back and read that story, please do. The Benjamites did some pretty terrible and disgusting things. Uh, basically, it was rape, murder. There's a war that breaks out. Most of the tribe of Benjamin is wiped out. The, the women and children, there's only a few hundred men. 
Then they're like, we're promising not to give these men some, some of our women. We don't want them to continue. But then they're like, but we need, you know, the tribes of Israel to continue. What do we do? It leads to basically the tribe of Benjamin, the men, to steal some women after the other tribes so they can keep the tribe of Benjamin going. They essentially steal these women, marry them, rape them, have children with them. So you actually, Saul, his grandpa, was probably one of those guys, right? Uh, doesn't come from a very good tribe. He's not the, the kingly tribe, but this, he is from the tribe of Benjamin. His, his story is like littered with a lot of sin. And this is just interesting. It's kind of giving us some insight right away when it says, hey, this guy Saul, he's from the tribe of Benjamin. Now you see this dialogue going on. And here's what's weird about this. I feel like the jury is out when it comes to who is Saul right away. Most of the people I, I read like studying this, are like, Saul seems to kind of be somewhat maybe incompetent. Others point out, no, he obeyed his father. Look at, he did what his dad asked him to do. So they say like, it's, it's very mixed. It's, he's a mixed bag. There's some maybe good things going on in his life. He wasn't like Eli's kids disobeying their dad. He was actually obeying his dad. He's going to go get the donkeys. But then you also see kind of like some fear in him of like, my dad might be worried about us. Like, aren't you a grown adult? Like, what are you talking about? So there's almost like this thing going on. Now is also his servant who had the idea, let's go find the prophet. That was not his idea. He never thought, let's go consult with the prophet of God. The idea, again, is maybe he's not familiar with Samuel. He's like, don't you know there's a prophet in this town? So everyone knew of Samuel. It seems as if Saul maybe didn't. One of the authors points out, you know, his outward appearance is mentioned. This dialogue is mentioned, but not his heart after God is mentioned. Like God is not mentioned in Saul's life at this point in time. He's not really aware. Even the women he meets by the well, they're like, you know, today's a sacrifice. It's probably the peace offering. But this is a sacrifice for the people, and this is how they do it. We're going to eat it. First, we wait to eat. You know, the heeds first, the priests first, and people who join him. And it's why they're explaining the culture and customs of, of basically spiritual significance. So it's almost like he has no spiritual understanding. He has no, he has no hunger or heart after God. That's kind of the idea. It's a servant's idea. It's these women explaining to him the culture, the customs, their spiritual practices. And this is kind of how he's introduced in this time. I think the reason why I want to bring this up is right away we see this passive and profit problem. So the idea of this, it's kind of introduced in this way. He seemed to be somewhat passive. Also, when he's like, we need a gift. We need to bring a gift to him. That was probably less of a Jewish cultural tradition and more of maybe a pagan tradition. The idea for them is, oh, we should offer up a gift. A prophet of God probably not wanting to receive a gift. So again, maybe he's more kind of in that pagan sort of mindset. But he seems to be more passive, and he seems to also have a prophet problem. Like, I, I don't know if we should go. We don't have a gift. Maybe the idea is like he's hesitant on that. The reason why I'm bringing this up is in 1 Samuel 15, we're going to see him have a passive and a prophet problem come out very clearly. We're going to see him be too passive about certain things, and we're going to see him have a prophet issue. Kind of, He struggles with leadership. So this is kind of like introduced in this way. The reason why, again, I want to bring this up, is I want us to see right away just these daily kind of mindsets or conversations or thoughts matter. Our decisions matter. It is very interesting how the small thoughts we have today will lead to big impact tomorrow. The small decisions you and I have today will lead to bigger outcomes tomorrow, maybe good or bad. We gotta see the daily decisions you and I make on a daily basis really do matter. We might think by making a certain small decision on things to do, watch, eat, things that we kind of take in on a daily basis, does that really matter? Does that really affect us? How does that affect us? You know, C.S. Lewis wrote something incredible about decision-making. I just want to read it to you. It's a longer quote, but I thought like, it's worth mentioning. Here's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different than it was before. And taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, 
all your life, all your life long, you are slowly turning the sensual thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish creature, either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with the other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God and with its fellow creatures and with itself. To be the one kind of creature is heaven. That is, it is joy and peace and knowledge and power. To be the other means madness, horror, horror, idiocy, rage, impotence, and eternal loneliness. Each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. He's basically the decisions you guys and I are making. We're either becoming more and more like Christ, more like the heavenly creature, or more and more unlike Christ, a hellish creature. The idea is we got to take into account the decisions you and I make on a daily basis, the thoughts you and I make, the conversations you and I make. This might not seem overly serious when you read this, but it's almost like, again, he's a little bit passive. I'm not sure if we're going to go. We don't have a gift. Maybe we should just come back. My dad's probably worried about me. It's almost like he's a little bit passive. He's not sure if he wants to keep going. And that's kind of revealing his character to some extent. Now, I, I want to bring this out, too, because as we kind of, this story unfolds, it's really interesting. It's hard. As my son, you know, we read Bible to him at night. We'll read, you know, um, the, uh, what's it called? It's my favorite, the Jesus Storybook Bible. He has a few different Bibles that are, like, fun. They're, like, really gospel-centered. They're awesome. But I've noticed that a lot of these stories leave out details about individuals, right? So when you read certain stories in the Bible to kids, it's like they're either good or bad. Like Samson, you read it, like, oh, man, what a hero, right? Like, when I read in his Bible, I'm like, Samson seems pretty legit. I'm like, oh, I don't want to tell him about all the other stuff with Samson. You know, with Gideon. You're like, Gideon seems legit. Even as adults, like, Gideon's, Gideon's legit. No, 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 go back and read Gideon. Like, there's certain heroes of our faith, men and women, Rahab, like, there's certain women, men and women of our faith that you go, wow, like, they're in the hall of faith, they're in Hebrews 11, they're in these kids' Bibles of showing great faith, and they're very nuanced. There's a lot of details there. There's a lot of things that's like, it's funny, as an adult, maybe you're reading, you're like, I never knew that. I never knew that these, there are some nuances to these characters. And I think it's us worth just exploring and slowing down and seeing it in that way. Now, here's what I want us to see. This chapter, 1 Samuel 9, is just filled with the providence of God. Like, notice this. There are some lost donkeys, right? And it's these lost donkeys that lead Saul to Samuel. God is going to use the story of lost donkeys to lead him to, to, to Samuel, which I find fascinating. Now, I want to say, when I say the providence of God, you're like, what, is, what does that mean? Because we can say, I think I've heard these words. We've talked about this a little bit probably months ago when we did the attributes of God. Here's the providence of God. Providence is wise and purposeful sovereignty. So God's providence, God is not just sovereign. He has all the authority and the right that is sovereign. He has all authority and the right to do what he wants. Authority and the right. But providence, it's his wise and purposeful sovereignty being executed. The idea that we have to see is we as Christians do believe in the providence of God. Okay, we don't believe in fate. This is not fatalism. Fatalism is kind of like, oh, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. You know, I, I, people always say this all the time. It bugs me. It's like such a weird comment. It is what it is. I'm like, what? Like, yeah, of course. Why do you even say that then? Like, okay. But like we have these like fatalism kind of things in our life. We don't believe in fate or fatalism. We believe in the providence of God. Like, what's the difference? This is a Spurgeon quote I thought was so phenomenal. I'm bringing it up again. Listen to what Spurgeon says. He says, what is fate? Listen to this. Fate is this. Whatever is must be. But there's a difference between that and providence. Providence says whatever God ordains must be. But the wisdom of God never ordains anything without a purpose. Everything in this world is working for some great end. Fate does not say that. It does not work for some great end. There is all the difference between fate and providence that there is between a man with good eyes and a blind man. We want to say that there is an end in mind with the providence of God. 
It's God's ordaining something with an end in mind. Here's why I think this is important. Listen, just practically in our daily life. This is a story of lost donkeys, right? And it led to Samuel. Here's the thing. I would say we need to wake up to some of these moments in our life where you're like, this is weird. This is bizarre. God, what are you doing here in this moment? Is this just a coffee with someone or God, are you doing something different? Am I just meeting this person kind of by happenstance and we have kids and we met at this event and we're talking and like, is this just nonsense or God, are you kind of working something together behind the scenes that I am not seeing? God will so often use like impractical or maybe even practical things, but for spiritual outcomes or purposes. So there might be something you're like, okay, this is just like a normal day-to-day life thing. Lost animal. We know animals go missing. That happens. Our dog, that, that happens. But maybe what is God doing in that? Maybe there's something behind the scenes we need to be more aware of. I love uh, what David Guzik says about this, and I just want to clarify a point. Say with me. Say with me. He says this. One mistake is to think every event of life is heavy with meaning from God. This is wrong. Because though nothing happens by accident, not everything happens for a great purpose. The second mistake is to ignore the moving of God in our lives through circumstances. The reason why I bring this up is maybe we can overthink this sometimes. Like that book just fell in the room. Why did that book fall? Maybe God wants me to not look at that book. I don't know. We can be weird, or we can be, be kind of ignore it. We're kind of like, oh, no big deal. This is just normal. And I think there's something about finding where God's like, God, are you at work in this? God, are you doing something in this? Like, what are you doing? Okay, I want to be aware. I don't want to be ignorant. I don't want to be quiet. I don't want to be passive about this. God, are you doing something that I'm not seeing? Obviously, Saul is not really recognizing what's happening at this point in time. We're going to find out the donkeys were lost for three days. He, he doesn't really know what's going on. There's something that God is doing. Now, I have to also point this out, because for me, when I read these scriptures, I, I don't know if you caught this. There are little echoes of the Old Testament and New Testament in this story. This story of meeting women and going to have dinner later with, with Samuel, it reminds me of Isaac who goes out looking, or Isaac's servant who goes out looking for his wife, meets, meets other these women, brings them back for dinner. That's, that's familiar. This donkey is being used to make Saul king eventually. And so I try to write out some things. I feel like there's these echoes pointing to the Old and New Testament. Bear with me. This is something I, I kind of feel like I needed to do in my heart. And so like write this out and think through this. But here's how I try to write this out. Uh, these donkeys are being used in a way that will lead Saul to becoming a king. Another donkey will be used so that Jesus can be received as a king. Saul was taught by women at a well to learn about temple worship. Jesus will teach a woman at a well to learn about spiritual worship. Every time we read some of these scriptures, we got to see that there's little echoes, these little hints of God is saying, there's a greater than Samuel. There's a, greater, there's a greater king coming. There's a greater than David. There's a greater than Saul. Like, we have to see all these different stories. There's like little echoes of the future of what will happen, of what's going on. Like, what is God doing? And I think that's what the Lord is doing in some ways. So this is who we see. Uh, Saul is being intro- introduced to us in this way. And now we're going to see what's spoken over him, that he's going to be king. So let's read. It's verse 15. So number two is this, who he will be, who he will be. Who will he be? Verse 15. Let's keep reading. Verse 15 says, Now the day before Saul came, listen to this, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He, it is, who shall restrain my people. Then Saul approaches Samuel in the gate and said, Tell me, where is the house of the seer? Samuel answered Saul, and he said, I am the seer. Go up before me to the high place, for today you shall eat with me, and in the morning I will let you go and will tell you all that is on your mind. 
As for your donkeys, I love this. He knows that his mind's on the donkeys. He has no idea. Like, he's like, how do you know? He just knew. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? God told Saul or Samuel the night before that you're going to meet this guy and he's going to be the prince. He's going to be the king of Israel. I want to point this out in verse 16. He says, you shall anoint him to be prince over my people. Prince. I don't know what version yours says, but it is prince. There is two different words in the Hebrew. One is for prince and one is for king. He's called the prince here. And in chapter 10, verse 1, it's really interesting how he says, I'm anointing you to be prince. In chapter 10, verse 1. Here, God's like anointing to be prince. So the word for prince is Najid. The word for king is Melek. Um, you think Melchizedek. But anyways, when you have this idea of king versus prince, he's like, you're going to be prince. Now, I thought the people wanted a king. They do. God's going to give me the king. He is going to be king. But like right away, we're reminded, uh, hey, Samuel, you are really the prince. The true king is God. Like you might think highly of yourself. Don't forget that, yes, you are a ruler. This actually, this word Najid can also be like a leader. Don't forget that you're a leader you're a ruler, but God is the true king. He's truly the one who has all authority and power. Don't think for a second that you're going to have all the authority and power. Like, yes, you might be the prince. Yes, you might be the king. But in reality, there's one king. I think God does this so often. It might seem like a, a simple like, use of words, like no big deal. But I think so often God does this to remind like, us of our place and his place. Like, the Bible might say that I'm an elder or shepherd of this church, but we have a chief shepherd, Right? The idea is you might think you own a business. You might think it's yours. It's not yours. And I think we see that so often when, in the fragility of life when things happen. We go, oh my gosh, I thought I had control. I really don't. I think there's these little reminders where God is trying to tell us, no, no, no. Don't think too highly of yourself. There's these points where, like, again, he uses the word prince right away. And I just think that's setting the tone. In chapter 10, verse 1, he uses it again. He's setting the tone for don't forget. Yes, you'll be a leader. Yes, you'll be a ruler. But you're not the true king. That's like introduced in that way. Whatever it is, position you might have, whatever authority you might have, obviously God has that and so much more. Don't, don't confuse yourself for just a second that you think, maybe, well, like, this is mine. This is mine. I'm the king. You're not. We have one king. I think it keeps you with this open hand. It keeps you from greed. It keeps you from selfishness. It says, Lord, you, are, you have all authority. You have all power. It's yours. You are the true king. I think every man and woman in their life should have this open hand of God. You're the one true king. I'm not. Like God has called us to be kings and priests, but you're the true king. You have all authority. You have all power. And I think it's it communicated this way right away, which is so important. I have to point this out. When I say who he will be, so this is who he was, but remember, he's spoken over him. This is who you're going to be. Look at verse 15 one more time. Verse 15, it says this way. We'll put the verse up. The Lord had revealed to Samuel, is what it says. I really do like the New King James Version. I actually think it fits better with the Hebrew when you read it in the Hebrew. It says, the Lord has told Samuel in his ear. Here's why I'm saying this. A declaration of who he is starts with the word of the Lord. The way we wrote it out, our point is a declaration of who you are comes from the word of the Lord. He's like, he's going to be the prince. He's going to be the king, essentially. He's going to be the prince. Who Samuel is, who Saul is, is going to be coming from a declaration of the Lord. I want you to see that it's God's word that defines us. It's God's word that gives us an identity. It's God's word that tells us who we are. Nothing else should define me more than God's word. It's a declaration. He's going to be the prince. So the point of this saying, here's who you will become. You're going to be a prince. 
It says God whispered this in his ear. God spoke this in his ear. The idea is the, this is from God himself of who he's going to be. I do want us, church, this is so important. I really do believe week after week, I might emphasize this, but too bad. Um, I think there's a battle and fight for our identities as individuals, as humans. I think there's a fight for us. Identify a certain way. Like This is who you are. I am fill in the blank. First and foremost, you are a child of God. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. We read last week in 1 Peter 2, 9, that you were part of this holy priesthood. You're once in darkness called out of darkness. We see that you weren't so not a people, but now you are a people. There are these, there's so many beautiful identity statements spoken over us. You are a pilgrim. You are a sojourner, right? We looked at that last week. But there are these identity statements connected to God's word. I would say this, find your identity in God's word. Find your identity in, what does he say about you? What does he speak over you? Where do you find your value? Do you find your value in things you've done? Do you find maybe your pain or shame in things you've not done? Regardless of both of those, your identity is who Christ says about you. That you are in Christ. You're in him. You're a new creation. His identity of being king is connected to the word of God. I want us to see this is so important. My identity is first and foremost found in the word of God. It doesn't matter what I think. It doesn't matter what I feel. God, what does your word say about me? That's who I am. That's who I truly am. I am who you say that I am. So if you say I'm this, this is what I am. Our identity must be connected to the word of God. Yes? Amen? Number two is this thought, though. There's a direction of where you should go that comes from the word of the Lord. So this is so good to me. Here's a declaration of who you're going to be. You're going to be king. But do you, see, do you notice the description of what he will do? Of like where he should go? Look at verse 16. We'll throw the verse up here. It says, he shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I've seen my people because their cry has come to me. There's this idea of not just a declaration of who we are, but a direction of where we go. He, God is saying right away, he's going to be like a savior. There's a direction in which you should go. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus has given us a very clear direction of go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's a clear direction. We have a declaration of who we are, and we have a direction of where we should go. God is very clear. The word of God came for the purpose of declaration and and for a a destination, a direction of where he should go. Here's why I'm saying this. Whatever God says about you is not just so you can feel really good about yourself and sit on the couch and be like, wow, God, thank you. You said I'm like a, a child of God. You said I'm a king and priest in your kingdom. Mm, I'm so enjoying Netflix right now. This is great. Like, that's cool. Here's the point. God has spoken over us in a way to live on mission, to live for mission. Don't just take God speaking these things over you to say, wow, I'm gonna pat myself on the back. I feel so good about myself. God's like, now go, go. Other people need this. He shall save the people from the hand of the Philistines. I've heard the cry, go. That's what you're sent for. You're, you're not just to be king, to be king. You don't just have this identity to have that identity and feel good. Like you have an identity for purpose. Do you get it? It's tied to purpose. Whatever God says about you is tied to purpose and it's tied to action. It's tied to movement. It's not like, wow, thank you, God, for saying this about me. Like I'm just gonna write this in my journal and that's it. I'm good. Like, like no, like go. It's, it's connected to direction. Yes, you follow me? The word of the Lord came for a very specific reason to Samuel. Tell this man's gonna be king. This man's gonna be the prince of the people. And this man is gonna go save his people from their hand of the Philistines. I've heard the cry. I've heard the prayer. I hear the identity that Saul is now receiving is for the purpose of going. So the purpose of going. Yes, this is so important. So here's the idea. We have a declaration of who we are and a direction of where we should go. And now we have to make a decision. This is so important. What God says about you, what God says for us to go do, this is the problem. We have a decision to make. Just because we have this identity, just because we have it tied to purpose, doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do it. I think this is this kind of is what happens in the church. We hear about all that we have in Christ, and it's so beautiful. 
all that we have in Christ. Yes and amen. You were faithful. Uh, but it's tied. It's like now you have to make a decision. What are you going to do with this new identity? What are you going to do with this direction? God has given us a decision now. Like the decisions matter. It really matters. How are we going to carry this and live it out? I say this right now, today, you have a decision for how you're going to live your life. Like you have a decision. God has given you a new identity. God has filled you with the Holy Spirit and purpose, but you're just going to sit there or you have, you have to decide now, what am I going to do with this? Do we have this treasure in earthen vessels that we just keep it to ourselves, Or do we want those vessels to be broken so that treasure can be displayed and seen? The idea is we need, like, this has to be tied to purpose, to, mis- to mission, to making a decision. It cannot just stay with us. Let me put it this way. First John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, behold what manner, listen, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed or given to us, that we should be called children of God. And it says actually, and we are. And he says in verse two, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall see him as he is. And he says, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I love this. He goes, we are children of God. That's who we are. That's our identity. We're children of God. And everyone has this hope. We'll see Jesus one day and become like him for you shall see him as he is. But here's the point. He says, but if you have this hope, you purify yourself. The point is, there's this identity, but there's also this idea of like, it leads to purification. There must be change. There must be, God, you've called me. You've called me. I'm a child of God. I, I have, I'm going to be see Jesus one day and be like Jesus. But this whole idea is if you, ha- if you truly have that hope, it will lead you to purify yourself just as he is pure. There is a decision that, that we have to make daily. You guys, I want you to see this. God has said some amazing things, but you have to decide what are you going to do with that? Like, what do you do with that? Does it purify you? What does it, what does it do? And so this is what's happening. So now we're going to see who he was, who he's supposed to be, this king. And then here's what I love. The first few things that Samuel does with Saul is fascinating to me, and it's how he wants to get him there. So how do we get there? Let's read verse 22. How do we get there? Verse 22. Then Samuel, right away, this is the first thing he does, took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall, and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see what was kept is set before you. He says, eat, eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof, and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof. He said, up, that I may send you on your way. So Saul rose, and both he and Samuel went out into the street. Verse 27. As they were going down to the outskirts of the city, Samuel said to Saul, tell the servant to pass on before us. And when, so it's just them two. When he passed on, he said, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. Verse one, he gets anointed as king. I just want to stop there though. How to get there. This is what I find fascinating. This is who, this is who uh, Saul was. He's declared to be king. The first interaction he has with Samuel, he doesn't know Samuel. He doesn't know he's like a prophet really. He just found out, right? The first interaction is, let's eat a meal. This meal is actually the sacrifice. Let's eat this meal and let me tell you the word of God. This is what I want us to get. I love this. How does God grow us and develop us in who he, into who he wants us to be? You ready for the answer? Food and the word. And I so believe this. And this is good news. Now, stay with me. This is so true. I'd say some of the most life-transforming moments for me 
have been over meal with people. Just deep conversation, talking, loving, laughing, bringing Jesus into it. I think of communion. Last week or a couple weeks ago when you're taking that, that bread, that juice, that wine, you're just going, thank you, Jesus, for what you've done for me. Think about this. This was the sacrifice that Samuel invited him into to eat the best part, to eat a great part. This is set aside for you. You're the head of the table. But I love this introduction to who he wants to be. It's like, let's have some food, get some rest, and let me tell you the word of God. I think there's something really profound about this. I think God makes us into who we are through community, through food, through communion, and through speaking the word into our lives. And I want to say this, like we have a decision to make. Because think, think about all this. We know that Judas had many meals with Jesus and heard the words of Jesus. But what was his outcome? We know Saul had a feast, had it celebrated the sacrifice, eats of it. Here's the word from a prophet. We know how his story ends. We know that Peter was with Judas, had the same meal, had the same conversations, made very similar mistakes, but completely different outcome. The, the reason why I bring this up is, is it's not the answer, but this is truly a part of our formation process. Like, I really do believe this, guys. We have to be around other people over meals, and we have to hear the word of God. I just think that is key. When you read verse 27, it's very just pure and honest how it says it. It just says, stop here yourself for a while that I may make known to you the word of God. I need you to know the word of God. Slow down. You're too busy. Stop. Send your servant ahead, just me and you. You need to hear the word of God. I would say food and the word go hand in hand. That is so key in our, our formation process. But does it always work? Look at Judas. Look at Saul. I think, like, what do we do with that? Like, is this something we receive in faith? Is this something we receive in thankfulness? Or is this something like, yeah, yeah, food, word. I also know a lot of believers who have the same two things and does nothing. There's, there's a decision that you and I have to make. We're introduced to Saul. He's having this, past, or he's having this uh, peace offering. He's having this meal. And he's hearing the word of God from a prophet himself. But we know his outcome. It won't be enough, but I do think it's, it's used by God in the formation process to make us more like him. And I think we have a, a choice to make. This is like kind of what we're seeing with him in this story. It's like, what do you do? What do you do? God, is, God has been so good to us, you guys. I think of all the people that have shared a meal with me and spoken the word of God into me. What do I do with that? I think of what Jesus said, too much is given, much is required, right? What do you do with that? Think about the people who've poured into you, spent money on you, bought meals for you, talked to you, loved you, shared the word of God with you. Think about your small group, that the whole point of why we're trying to get small groups, not just like small groups, we know that small groups can be in vain. We know that you can just do it out of repetition, but the hope is like, how do we have a meaningful conversation around Jesus, around the word? How do we share a meal or coffee or something that can just bring us together to kind of put down our walls where we can have something in common and, and just talk about the most important thing in life, and that is Jesus. The thing is, so often food and the word are used in our formation process, and I would say, you need to have that in your formation process, but it's not the solution. The solution is still going to be in faith, receiving that meal in faith, looking at communion in faith, saying, Jesus, this is all about you. This is speaking of you. This is not just a thing I do. This is not a ritual, some sort of spiritual, religious thing I do, but this is a way for me to become more and more like you. The reason why I just want to end with this and close out with this time is that it's very, I think Samuel, as a spiritual leader, is very specific with what's he's in. His first interaction with the one who's going to be king, come on, let's eat a meal, and let me just tell you about the word of God. I need to speak the word of God into you. And I love how he's like, slow down. Send your servant ahead. Slow down. Stop yourself. Stop here yourself. I really do think what a great word for us to like, slow down. Slow down. Stop here yourself. What does God want to say to you? When was the last time you just sat with the Lord? Just sat with the Lord and say, speak, your servant listens. I think Samuel is trying to rehearse what he had with God. I'm going to slow down and hear the word of the Lord. And I'm asking this new king to slow down and just to hear the word of the Lord. And I would say, slow down. Eat a meal with some people. If, if, if it's valuable to you, you'll make time for it. 
If you find there's value in community, you'll fight for it. You'll schedule it. We make time for what matters to us. Make time for it. Make time for you and the Lord. Make time for you and the Lord and people. Make time for a meal and the word. This is so essential to our development in our faith. And here's how I just want to close at our time. Because I want you to see there's, there's certain phrases being used here that were obviously trying to point us to someone else. So I'm going to read this. Listen to this. This is a commentator's thoughts on 1 Samuel 9. Here's how he ends, and I just want to close with this thought. He says, listen, 1 Samuel chapter 9 tells the story of Saul's ascent to his throne. He went up to the city, up to the high place at the city center, up to the head of the table, and up to the roof of a house to spend their night. This is significant. The king of Israel literally ascends to the throne. This will find its fulfillment when Jesus ascends into heaven. I do think that so often the scriptures are using these phrases to draw your attention. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He went up to the cross. He rose up from the grave. He rose and ascended up into heaven. And this idea of Saul going up and up and up, and like why I think there's repetition in the scripture to make us notice it and saying, this is really fulfilled in Jesus who will ascend. Obviously the worship team is coming up. We asked them to do that. Um, I want us to see this. We have a better Samuel who went up for us. We have a better Samuel who ascended to the right hand of the Father. His name is Jesus. We want to invite you to know this Jesus, to love this Jesus, to pursue this Jesus, that everything here is to point us to that person of Jesus. On the third day, the donkeys are found. There's this theme all, all the time in Scripture. The donkeys were as good as dead for three days. Oh, we found them. Three days, death and resurrection. This is just a theme of Scripture. Three days, we found them. Why? God is constantly just trying to bring our hearts up to Jesus. When you read the Scriptures, you think you have eternal life, but these are they which speak of me. It's Jesus. So we just want to end our time by bringing our attention and our thoughts to Jesus. Can we do that? Let's pray. Let's just worship the Lord. Father, we just want to thank you. We want to thank you for who you are, for what you've done. We thank you, God, for what you say over us, what this new identity you give us according to your word. Let your word define us. Let your word motivate us, compel us. Let it lead us. God, we ask that Jesus in this process that we'd do what Samuel and Saul did, that we'd eat a meal, we'd slow down, hear your word, and that Jesus, by faith, we'd receive that. By faith, we'd walk in that, become more like you. So God, we just ask that you'd speak and move. We thank you that Jesus, you ascended, that you rose again, that you went to the cross, that you did all those things for us. And we just wanna say we thank you, Jesus, in your precious name. Uh, Church, why don't you stand and let's just close out and worship.